1: Om Namo Bhagavateva Sudevaya Om Namo Sudevaya Reading Shura Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 3, Text 21. I'm um, going to do word-for-word word first, that's okay, and then do the Sanskrit. Pabchamanina, burning, rida, with a heart, Atura Indriya, who is distressed, Samridibihi, by the pious reputation. Purusha buddhi shakshinam, of those who are always absorbed in thought of the Supreme Lord. Akalpaha, being unable. Esham, of those persons. Adhirodu, to rise. Agyasa, quickly. Param, merely, padam, to the standard, dveshti, envy, yata, as much as, Asuraha, the demons, harim, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Papyamane mane na Samri Diphi
2: Purushabudisakshinamri
1: Bhi Purusham Sudisakshinam A Kalpayesham Param Padam Dvestiya Tasura Hari Sam Samriti purusha purusa
2: Sakshinam
1: esham agyasa. Param padam dvesti Yatasura Harim Param Some re di pu de shabuti
2: sakshinam.
1: A rotum anjasa.
2: anjasa. anjasa.
1: Padam, padam, Translation, one who is conducted by false ego and thus always distressed, both mentally and sensually, cannot tolerate the opulence of self-realized persons, being unable to rise To the standard of self-realization, he envies such persons as much as demons envy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Purport. The real reason for the enmity between Lord Shiva and Daksha is explained here. Daksha was envious of Lord Shiva because because of Shiva's high position as an incarnation of a quality of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And because Shiva was directly in contact with the Supersoul and was therefore honored and given a better sitting place than he. There were many other reasons also. Daksha, being materially puffed up, could not tolerate the high position of Lord Shiva, so his anger at Lord Shiva's not standing up in his presence was only the final manifestation of his envy. Lord Shiva is always in meditation and always perceives the super- super soul, as expressed here by the words, Sakshinam. The position of the position of one whose intelligence is always absorbed in meditation upon the supreme personality of Godhead is very great, and cannot be imitated by anyone, especially an ordinary person. When Daksha entered the arena of yajna, Lord Shiva is, was in meditation and might not have seen Daksha enter, but Daksha took the opportunity to curse him because Daksha had maintained an envious attitude towards Lord Shiva for a long time. Those who are actually self-realized see every individual body as a temple of the Supreme Personality of Godhead because the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his Paramatma feature is residing in everyone's body. When one offers respect to the body, it is not to the material body but to the presence of the Supreme Lord. Thus, one who is always in meditation upon the Supreme Lord is always offering him obeisances. But since Daksha was not very elevated, he thought that obeisances were offered to the material body. And because Lord Shiva did not offer respects to his material body, Daksha became envious. Such persons being unable to rise to the standard of self-realized souls like Lord Shiva are always envious. The example given here is very suitable. Asuras, demons, or atheists are always envious of the Supreme Personality Godhead. They simply want to kill him. Even in this age, we find some so-called scholars commenting on Bhagavad Gita who are envious of Krishna. When Krishna says, man mana bhava mad Bhagavad Gita 1865, always think of me. Quote, always think of me, become my devotee, and surrender unto me. Unquote. The so-called scholars comment that it is not Krishna that we, have to surre- that we have to surrender. That is envy. The asuras or atheists, the demons, without reason or cause, are envious of the supreme personality of Godhead. Similarly, instead of offering respect to self-realized self-real- persons, foolish men who cannot approach the highest standard of self-realization are always envious. Although, there is no reason. Om jnana timirandasya kyananjana shalakaya Chakshurunmi mila tasmai shri gurave namaha Namo om vishnipudaya krishna prasthaya bhuta de srimate bhaktivedanta swaminiti namine namaste sarasvate deve goravani prachadine NIRVASESHA SHUNYAVARI PASTYATA DESHATARI VANSA KALPATAR UBYASCHA KRIPASIN HUBYEVACHA VATITANAM PAVANE BYO VAISHNAVE BYO NAMO NAMAH So with your permission and blessings, I'll speak more on these topics of Bhagavatam that are meant to...
2: Uh,
1: with your permission and blessings... Okay, we'll speak on Bhagavatam, discuss Bhagavatam, which is meant to purify us. And so here we have our, well, we've had a good few weeks of speaking about envy and criticism, and these stories are meant to be relevant to us, they certainly are. And. I, when I was reading this, I was thinking this—the the verse and the purport is so rich. It's so full of uh, topics, little like little points that are being made in there. Every, every little every sentence, there's like something amazing. It's like you can unpack every every few sentences. But the gist of it is that um, Daksha was envious lord shiva's high position not like not just his material high position but what's being said is he's actually envious of his his spiritual evol- evolution his elevation his self-realization actually envious of his self-realization that that actually that was the valid cause or reason for lord shiva being uh, elevated someone needs to be let in the door And uh, Daksha's uh, inability to tolerate this was due to his material covering, pride and envy. Lord Shiva's consciousness is a a continuous stream of absorption on the Supreme. And Prabhupada says in the purport that uh, we don't know exactly why Lord Shiva didn't acknowledge Daksha, but Prabhupada says he might not have seen Daksha enter because he is constantly absorbed in the Supreme. Um, And maybe he didn't know it as Daksha walked in. But this was a public assembly, and it was uh, insulting for Daksha. Daksha felt insulted that he is the father-in-law. He is Lord Shiva's father-in-law. So he was seeing it from a material level. I'm the father-in-law, and this is my son-in-law, and he didn't even Acknowledge me when I walked into this sacrificial arena, this public setting. But the point's being made that Lord Shiva's true position, his real position, is based off of his spiritual elevation, his spiritual realization. And he is quite uh, much more elevated than Daksha. And it's showing here, it's showing here that. it may not be seen at first but over time we can see someone's consciousness comes out usually manifests in time we start to see the reality of it so here we're seeing Prabhupada says this is the final manifestation of Daksha's envy but Prabhupada's justifying Lord Shiva's actions by saying that because Lord Shiva is always absorbed in the Supreme and the Supreme is in everyone's heart And to actually show respect to someone means to acknowledge the Supreme Lord in his heart. Then he was already showing respect to Daksha by being absorbed in the Supreme. But because Daksha doesn't know that, because Daksha doesn't have that understanding, he thought that he wasn't respecting him. So is saying that that, that it, it was justified. He, he he was actually faultless. He wasn't at fault. But Daksha found fault with it because Daksha thinks, as is saying, that to offer respect means to offer respect to the material body. And then and then at the end of the Purpur Prabhupada saying that that although although there is no reason, there's like he's he's uh, uh, likening Daksha's envy Lord Shiva to the demon and Asura envying the Supreme Lord and he's saying there's really no reason for it. Why, why be envious? And, and we see in so many, so many verses, so many p- parts in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna drops mention of um, do this without envy of me. Practice devotional service without envy of me. Without envy for other living entities but practice devotional service without resenting me. Without envying me, and so we can see that uh, this is a, uh, an important point. It's brought up, and why is that? Well, um, Prabhupada's saying, "There's no reason. <laughs> why are we envious of something that we can achieve? But we can't achieve it when we are envious. <laughs> so the only reason for being envious is because we think we uh, we want that thing, but we're we we're not getting it. We don't have it now." But it's that envy itself that's blocking us from getting there. There's no real reason. What I, I really, I sort of took apart the the, the verse. I just found it really fascinating. Um, the translation, the Sanskrit, that pa, Papa Chamanena is burning. Hridah, with a heart, Atura Indriya, who is distressed. Indriya, the senses, so the uh, translation is that it's the, the heart and the senses, the mind and the senses are burning. They're burning. It's a distressful burning that's happening. And uh, conducted by false egos. So that it's that that burning is coming from the being conducted by the false ego, that that functioning mainly off of the coverings of the self, the mind and the senses are under control of the, of the material energy. The three gunas, the three main flavors, of the ropes of material energy. And when we're burning with a distressed heart and senses, it's it's uh, very difficult for us to be absorbed in Supreme Lord. Um, so that pious reputation of those who are always absorbed in thought of the Supreme Lord, they—that reputation is sometimes uh, something that people envy or that we envy. So well, sometimes we see there might be a, a great saintly devotee that uh, we might feel envy. That how can they be so self-realized? Or we might envy each other. How is it this person is making spiritual advancement more than I am? and that distress, that burning that comes from being conducted by the false ego. So much distress comes to the mind and senses. It's as if the self or the spirit soul of the self is being tossed around in that consciousness, which is in control of the material energy. Unable to tolerate the opulence of self-realized persons. So. It's uh, I find this interesting that there's that Prabhupada, that this is, probably Prabhupada saying Prabhupada's translation, but also in the verses, is bringing out that there is an opulence that comes from being there is an opulence of self realization that the opulence that's being referred to here it's not material opulence it's a it's an opulence of self realization or spiritual advancement there's so much opulence in it. That that absorption in the pure self, and the super self, that the super soul that Lord Shiva is constantly absorbed in, that's true opulence. That substantial satisfaction of deep joy and clarity, that a person like Daksha, who's dictated by the material energy, that he may have beauty, he may have wealth, fame, renunciation, Um, any of the six opulences, strength, knowledge. However, that opulence that he's not recognizing is something that he doesn't have, and he can't see it. He's envious of it. He wants elevation, but he can't reach it because of pride and envy. And I found it really interesting that we actually in the last chapter, or in the last um, Canto, when we read about, we, had, we read Lord Kapila speaking to his mother, that he explains the stage in which the consciousness of the living entity is attracted by the three modes of material nature is called conditioned life. The, the consciousness is actually attracted to material energy, that, that, and, and Daksha is an example here and he's sort of being offered on the sacrificial fire of Bhagavatam so that we can all learn from him, that his consciousness was absorbed in material energy. But when that same consciousness is attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one is situated in the consciousness of liberation. So Lord Shiva's consciousness was actually attached to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So we see those two different consciousnesses happening where we see here's Daksha, here's Lord Shiva. When one is completely cleansed of the impurities of lust and greed produced from false identification of the body as I, and bodily possessions as mine, one's mind becomes purified. In that pure state, he transcends the stage of so-called material happiness and distress. At that time, the soul can see himself to be transcendental to material existence and always self-effulgent, never fragmented, although very minute in size. In that position of self-realization, which is what Lord Shiva is absorbed in, by practice of knowledge and renunciation and devotional service, one sees everything in the right perspective. He becomes indifferent to material existence, and the material influence acts less powerfully upon him. So we're seeing this is a description of the absorption that Lord Shiva is in and what comes from it. Perfection and self-realization cannot be attained by any kind of yoga, any yogi, unless he engages in devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for that is the only auspicious path. So here we see this is a description of what Lord Shiva is experiencing or absorbed in, and Prabhupada justifies it, justifies his unacknowledgement of daksha by saying that because he's absorbed in this, he's acknowledging the existence of the Supreme in every person's heart. He's already absorbed in it. But Daksha didn't see it that way because his consciousness is absorbed in the material. And uh, Kapila explains to his mother, My devotees always seeing the smiling face of my form with eyes like the rising morning sun. They like to see my various transcendental forms which are all benevolent and they also talk favorably with me. Upon seeing the charming forms of the Lord smiling and attractive and hearing his very pleasing words, the pure devotee almost loses all other consciousness. His senses are freed from all other engagements, and he becomes absorbed in devotional service. Thus, in spite of his unwillingness, he obtains liberation without separate endeavor." So. This is, this is sort of uh, indicating that one can even get to the point where they're not conscious of other things. Maybe Lord Shiva what? Like Prabhupada said, maybe, maybe he was so absorbed that he didn't notice Daksha walk in. And then here where Kapila Muni is describing to his mother is that the pure devotee almost loses all other consciousness. And in spite of his unwillingness, he attains liberation without separate endeavor. So one doesn't even need to endeavor for liberation, for material opulences, anything, really, because without separate endeavor, endeavor they come. And then he goes on to say, My dear mother, devotees who receive such transcendental opulences are never bereft of them. They're never bereft of them. Neither weapon, neither weapons, nor the change of time can destroy such opulences, because de- the devotees accept me as their friend, their relative, their son, preceptor, benefactor, and supreme deity. They cannot be deprived of their possessions at any time. So we see with material opulences, at any point, at any point in time, it can just go away. It can, it can go fame beauty, renunciation, strength, knowledge. It can go away at any moment. And we see, like Arjuna, he was empowered. He had immense strength. He was empowered for a certain period of time. And then there was another point, he couldn't fight off a, little, a few coward boys, coward men. And he admitted, it's because I'm, I'm not empowered right now to do this. So at any point, material, material opulences can go. But spiritual opulences, as, as Kapila Muni is saying, that they will never leave, they cannot be deprived of in the devotee's possession at any time. So the devotee, the pure devotee, actually possesses these opulences, and they'll never leave. And so we see this is the sort of comparison between the consciousness, the daksha, which is, being being likened to the consciousness of an asura in Bhagavad Gita who envies the Supreme Lord versus the consciousness of Lord Shiva, and in and Bhagavad Gita sixteen ten, Krishna is describing this this uh, asuric consciousness. He's he's saying that um, those who take shelter of unsatiable lust and absorb in the conceit of pride and false besiege, they're illusioned and they're Attracted by the impermanent, so we see like when the consciousness is attracted, is attracted to material, then it it's impermanent. There's so much impermanence in the material energy, and so the material opulences they're impermanent. They come and go. It doesn't make them bad innately, but that they're just there and they're not permanent. They're temporary. And this this uh, material consciousness. It's a sort of consciousness that's a little deeper than just material in the sense that it, there's an inability to tolerate others' opulences, others' possessing opulence. That there's a, an unsettling feeling, feeling disturbed by someone else's possessions. And Prabhupada um, also describes envy as a, an inability to tolerate the uh, the The what? Eminence of another, yeah.
3: Thanks.
4: That's a dictionary
1: de- definition that envy is to.
4: Uh,
1: excuse me. Jiva Goswami describes envy as the inability to tolerate the greatness of another. Thanks. And actually, I looked it up in the dictionary. Uh, um, envy is a feeling of g- discontented or resentful longing, aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. And I'll just pause, and I see that Rukmini Devi has said, I've heard that during his worship described in Srimad Bhagavatam 6, 4, Daksha had reached the stage of bhava Nevertheless, his later offense resulted in a grievous grievous fall down. And then she describes that one can fall from bhava, according to Rupa Goswami, one can fall from bhava if one offends devotees. This is from Bhakti Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 1354. Translation, should be stated, by an offense against the dearest devotee of the Lord, Even real bhava will be destroyed if the offense is grave. If the offense is medium, the bhava will turn to bhava bas. If the offense is slight, the bhava will become an inferior type. And then there's more commentary by Jiva Goswami and Vishwanath Chakvakti Thakur's commentary, which you can find on the Facebook chat that Rukmini Devi has given. Thank you in the comments, yeah. So as practitioners of bhakti yogi, as as yoga, as yogis ourselves, um, we are actually required to look squarely with courage, not with an undermining shame, but with courage at our own hearts, being keenly attentive to detecting symptoms, um, blatant and subtle, of envy, and as to be a yogi means to be expert at such a thing. And we can see when we really look at ourselves that there's different symptoms of envy. And I sort of uh, thought about it myself. And um, some symptoms of envy are um, apathy when others are suffering or being oppressed. Envy is putting others in unnecessary suffering or oppression. Envy can come out as um, constant attentiveness to and emphasis on failings and faults of others with a simultaneous lack of attentiveness to the good qualities of others. It can come out as a profuse praise of one person with the intent to negate another person can come out as favoring one person who gives a sense gratification, gross or subtle, and being averse to those who don't. Um, withholding beneficial wisdom or knowledge from others who are open and ready to receive it. Uh, Envy comes out as feeling pleasure at seeing others suffer. Comes out as, as being competitive or with a desire to negate or pull or keep someone down or lower than oneself. It can come out as devaluing others. Oh, she's not as great as people think. Well, you don't know this about them. Uh, Disempowering others, including your friends and your family, with disencouragement. And uh, being a yogi means being the change that you want to see. It means that when we are attentive in our own self-introspective process, it takes quite a bit of courage to really see that in ourselves. And the tendency is to, to feel shame when we see it. But the problem with shame is that it, it, it blocks us from really doing something about it. So we might feel a temporary shame or guilt when we have that courage to look. And that might be there temporarily, but if it hangs on, if we hang in deep shame, about something for a long time we can't actually take action to do anything about about what we see so it's so important to have a mood of like the lord's mood of compassionate understanding that hey we're here because we got this stuff and everybody has it and we're seeing right here in bhagavatam that this illustration of what's happening every day in this world for so many people, all of us, conditioned souls. So to really be practical and courageous and looking at it, that's what it means to be a yogi. And that we are um, attentive and even, intelligent enough to take that introspective process and be absorbed in that process of, what do I do now? Okay, what are some practical things? I'm going to shift my focus uh, to my own self i'm going to choose to appreciate someone instead of constantly finding faults and i can even ask myself we can even ask ourselves oh when we when we're seeing ourselves experiencing jealousy or envy we can ask what is it about that person that i'm that i'm wanting like what do, what do i want oh okay they have this and i want that too so a good question to ask oneself is, okay, are you willing to do the work and effort and hold the responsibility? So are you, are you willing to do the work and effort it takes to, to get that? And once you get that, are you ready to maintain the, responsible, the responsibility of having that thing? It's a really good question to ask ourselves, real question. Oh, okay. Do I want to do the work that it takes to have that? Okay. Like, let's say, you know, oh, if a man is jealous of some, that another man has an amazing wife, is he willing, are you willing to do the work that it takes to get a very wonderful wife? And if it's a yes, do the work. And when you get that, are you ready to do the work that it takes to maintain a very nice wife? So there's those two things that what the work that it takes to get it, and then the responsibility that comes from having it. And if it's no, then it's it's we find that when we answer that question, it can be easy to drop that jealousy and envy. So it's, it's there. There are some processes we can do with ourselves to help us. Sort of get out of that while we're practicing devotional service to cleanse some ways to really help ourselves drop these things. And I have my no notes, but I think I'd like to stop. You know, there's so many points that are being made like about demons and being, like un- being unable to rise to the standard of self-realization. We did talk about it a little bit but then demons envying Krishna. Um, that's, a, that's another area that we can go into. Why do people envy, why do we envy Krishna? Why, why do we do that? What's the consciousness? Um, I'll just do it briefly, actually. I've, I found in the fifth canto, there are prayers by Lord Shiva, where he's actually praying um, to Krishna And he's saying, uh, you are the reservoir of all transcendental qualities. Although you are unlimited, you remain unmanifest to the non-devotees. Specifically why I quoted this is because he says, we cannot control the force of our anger. Therefore, when we look at material things, we cannot avoid feeling attraction or repulsion for them. But the Supreme Lord is never... Affected in this way, although he glances over the material world for the purpose of creating, maintaining, and destroying it, he is not affected even to the slightest degree. This is Lord Shiva, who is also very free from the moon. He is free, but it's described, we, we talked about this previously, where he's like milk that's been turned to yogurt. He's slightly touched by the material energy. Slightly. But he's saying he's glorifying the supreme lord, saying you are not affected even to the slightest degree. For persons with impure vision, the supreme lord's eyes appear like those of someone who indiscriminately drinks intoxicating beverages. Thus bewildered, such unintelligent persons become angry at the supreme lord, and due to their angry mood, the lord himself appears angry and very fearful. So, with that, with those, that sort of vision. Of envy, though they're so. Even they're even looking at the supreme Lord, thinking, "Oh, he's terrible." Look at that; he's just drunk. And look, he's he's just an angry, envious God. Look at God; he's angry and envious. Well, that's seeing through the one's own le- lenses. However, this is an illusion. When the wives of the serpent demon were agitated by the touch of the Lord's lotus feet, due to shyness, they could proceed no further in their worship of him. Yet the Lord remained unagitated by their touch, for he is equipoised in all circumstances. Therefore, who will not worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead? And Prophet says, There is no reason to be envious of the Lord, yet however, it is our own creation. So I'll just stop there. Um, I'll check in with what the devotees online said, and then I'll check in with uh, here you all here. Devi says very nice categorization of envy it can help me introspect like I said earlier if you look on there she gives Jiva Goswami's commentaries so does she also give Vishnath Chakvarthi talk words about how one can fall from bhava and then I'll just hear from you all does anyone have any reflections comments
0: I'm curious to hear more about this falling falling from the stage of Bhava. It's very scary to me because we understand that until one is at praying, there's still some trace of anartas in the heart. And as long as we still have anartas, even if we are really sincere and trying, it's possible that we could make offenses. You know, it's even in there's different levels of offenses. But we were hearing the other day how it's even offense. If you don't feel joy upon seeing a devotee, that's actually an offense, um, and you know that sometimes happens, even if we're really trying and we're being sincere. And like you said, we can introspect of why this is coming up for us, and then try to address what's coming up for us. But still, like if someone's on the stage of of bhava, is it any offense that they can completely fall? You know, or is it like a major offense, right, Daksha? I can appreciate him in some sense because you know he was also appreciating, like he was envious of Shiva's spiritual advancement, and um, that's I can appreciate that because at least he's appreciating spiritual advancement.
1: I you or or asara do you have any comments on this cuz I don't have the knowledge or experience or realization I mean I can read I can read the commentaries here
5: Well it's interesting Because she was saying 6-4, that's when Daksha gives his Hangsaguya prayers to the Lord. So in this pastime, it doesn't seem like Duksha's on the platform of bhava, but later on, when he does austerities and penances, and then get the Haryashvas har- and the Savalashvas, he offers the Hangsaguya prayers. And then his offense to Nardamuni Muni is what could bring him down from bhava. Just to put that into context, six four what she wrote, and then in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, in the the third chapter is all about Bhava Bhakti, and so it's interesting that uh, the grave of- she she mentions the grave offense will turn into Bhava Bas, so you'll get like shadow of Bhav or you'll like lose your Bhav, and then uh, it's interesting because we can <laughs> this will bring up like a whole Pandora's box. But basically, when you have a slight offense, your ratti or your bhav, if you're in Madhurya Ras, then you go down to Dasya Ras. So your ratti actually will change from an inferior ratti. So, but I mean, that's bhava and Bharat Maharaj. He was on the platform of Bhav, Sri the Prabhupada actually makes that point. And then because he wasn't staying in the association of devotees, then he also... Falls down from the platform above, so we have to be careful. But she says something?
3: She said, is 6 4 is, is earlier in chronology, yes?
2: My understanding is not. We're here for.
5: We're on Canto 4, Chapter 3. Can you repeat that, son? We're on Canto 4, Chapter 3. And then is, uh, can, uh, Canto 6 is after Daksha's been born from the Prachetas. So he's been reborn in a later Manvantar period from the Prachetas. Right, samyapras Yeah.
6: I was just gonna say also about Bilba Mangala Thakur. He also was in a platform of Baba and he wasn't envious. He was just, he just had um, material desires. He just, he was attracted to Chintamani, the prostitute. He didn't commit any offense against any Vaishnavas. And he fell from a platform of Baba. Yeah, so the material world is not safe. Even Baba is not enough.
4: One of the things that I think Srila Prabhupada says around, uh, and if not him, then it's one of the previous acharyas or possibly both, around Jadbhara, uh, or Bardmaras' Maharaj's fall down, is that it was due to willful neglect of his sadhana. So, it's not um, his, will, his free will, it's Leela, first of all. So, he's instructing, you know, what can happen. Um, but he's showing what happens if you willfully neglect your sadhana. Like, willful neglect means, um, you're not like it's not that you know someone does something you're not even aware of, and all of a sudden you're cursed forever. You know, like you had a, you had a, a hand in it. You could have you could have chanted your rounds, but instead you decided to play with the little bunny rabbit or deer, and you know develop a connection with that and make that your whole. You know, like priogena he did that, and it's like that can happen because we have free will. So I think that a lot of the um, <coughs> Almost paranoia around this uh, revolves around how 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 small our uh, area of um, influence really is, our circle of influence. But Bard Maharaj actually misapplied his circle of influence. You know, he he actually just put everything on hold uh, for sentiment. So that's um, I, I, I at least I find it reassuring because you know it's not that you know we have to like <laughs> live in a place devoid of deer. You know, we just have to make sure we decide that, okay, whether the deer lives or dies, I have my service to God. I
5: have a question. A different point. Is that okay? So I was thinking about how you brought up uh, Purusha Buddhi Sakshinam, how Lord Shiva. You know, you're mentioning how Śrīla Prabhupāda said that maybe Lord Shiva knew he was there, but because he was in such meditation. So, <clears throat> I was thinking about in our day-to-day, uh, you know, experiences, what happens if somebody's like, oh, I, you know, I'm just going to focus on Radha Govinda, and then I'm just going to focus on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and then the rest of the Vaishnavas, I don't have to worry about them or give any respect to them because then it's just, you know, I'm just focusing on, on Krishna. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can. Well.
2: Wow.
1: Well, I mean it's described that the Neophytes devotee is a Kanishta is um, gives respect and worship to the Supreme Lord but not not to his parts and parcels. So it's like it's sort of a, there's a difference between Lord Shiva's absorption in the Supreme is sort of like a it was it was like a, a natural default Of his genuine absorption, that he might have missed someone walking in. Whereas, with a kinnisha devotee, there um, they do have envy in their hearts, and that's why they're not respecting others. It's a difference. Is it that simple? I guess. Do you have a point on this? Same. Okay.
3: Yeah, I was thinking about this too, and um, in relation to, well, it seems to connect to the topic of um, Vapu, of, you know, the gurus or the sadhus, uh, the pure devotees, and then, you know, the instruction or just the the meditation on the, in the heart. Like, so, <clears throat> like... A lot of times, I've heard many devotees complain before that, Oh, such and such Maharaj, you know, he never gives me attention. Or they may even say, My Guru Maharaj, you know, he never really talks to me. And um, it's interesting because <laughs> the point being made here is is that the pure devotee is giving Krishna all of his attention. So by giving Krishna all of his attention, he's actually giving all of his disciples all of his attention. And um the disciple do it his own short sightedness and may not be able to understand that, um, but at the same time, it's a interesting conundrum because at least in my experience, and I think in most people's experience, and um that there is a particular you know amount of vapu that's required for devotees to feel nourished, you know some connection, interaction with pure devotees or maharajas or gurus or whatever and if they don't have that they eventually uh, they don't really get to see the example and they don't get to really learn the culture of pure devotion like real time so that's uh, it's interesting yeah that whole it's kind of like a a conundrum there because devotees will feel that oh my spiritual master is neglecting me or oh such and such Maharaj you know he's a pure devotee but he never even looks at me whenever I'm around but it's like it's like a, it just reminded me of this situation here with Lord Shiva, and um, so how do you how do you bridge that gap of you know maybe okay maybe I feel neglected because um, a pure devotee is not looking at me, and at the same time I know that <clears throat> he ultimately he's philosophically at least I know that he's giving all of his attention to Krishna, so therefore you know it's all. He's giving his attention to me in, in one sense. So there's no real reason for me to lament about that. But still, due to my lack of advancement, I um I, I need a little bit of like direct like interaction. Otherwise, you know, I'll go I'll go crazy just interacting with de- devotees that are on the same platform as me or maybe even not, you know, or perceived, you know. I mean it's all solid perception I guess but
1: Mm, I think it's a good uh, thing to what one one thing it's good to try to uh, take that statement like he's he's not giving me attention and to look at it and actually sort of do a little 180 and um, oftentimes when we when we say well, they're not doing this for me what it really means is is I want this I want their attention and so when we sort of make a little shift then we can actually clarify what we're really wanting so um, and then we won't necessarily see it as a bad thing that it's it's a good thing to want the attention of a peer devotee, or it's a good thing to want the attention of a mentor, or someone who has a more spiritual advancement than we do. We do someone who's in a position of being our master. We want their attention, um, and to look at like what? Why do I want their attention? Why do I want their association? And. Also, looking at like, do we want it because we just want to hang out with people that are have high honor and prestige, even if it's material or spiritual? Let's look at it. Am I wanting it because I I really need spiritual association and uh, association with those who are advanced? And if that's the case, is there anyone in my immediate circle who is actually advanced that maybe doesn't have the the um, as much uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't want to say fame, but yeah, fame around that. There might be like quite advanced people that are accessible to us too. So it is encouraged that that we do take, that we have many shiksha gurus or mentors to different levels, and but also to really see, like, yeah, I want their attention. How can I get their f- attention? <laughs> you know, they say, like, if you uh, want Christian's attention, like, Do something that gets his attention. And, you know, like Krishna likes to see us, uh, you know, behave certain ways and accomplish certain things. He's clear in the Bhagavad Gita about what he likes, the devotee of the devotee. So the devotee can say, How can I get his attention? And we can really start putting our effort into, I want to get my spiritual master's attention. How do I get his attention? You know? And to see, like you said, like the spiritual master is. Absorbed in Krishna, and when Krishna, like like Champaka was saying, she was saying that um, her spiritual master told her that when Krishna, when Krishna knows everything, and he wants me to know something, he lets me know. And so, when we get the attention, when we do things, act in ways that gets the attention of Krishna and or our spiritual master, they'll they'll Krishna will let him know.
7: Thank you. So I was just remembering uh, one pastime time at 26 Second Avenue, and one of the devotees was envious that Swamiji would get hot milk at night, and different things like that, you know, so envious of different, uh, what they thought was little extras, you know, that Swamiji would have. So envy of the guru, but then realizing, uh, you know, they become began to realize if I just serve, then that'll go away. So that was like the kind of like the realization and the antidote, and they served Swamiji, and then the envy went away. Um, well, different so called, you know. Uh, perks, <laughs> oh, you know, if Swamiji has hot milk at night, nobody else does, or whatever. So, <laughs> so they just realized, you know, hey, you know, if I just do service and serve Swamiji and the devotees, then uh, gradually all this, you know, garbage goes away. <laughs>
6: Of course, uh, Mother Nidra, displaying the quality of omniscience, took took the words out of my mouth. But not the example. Um, How did um, I actually approach my guru with with um, as representing my God brothers and God sisters? They some some said they didn't have the courage to come and say it. So I represented them, saying, you know, they are such and such. Some devotees are not getting enough attention, they think that you don't care, and so on. And he said, I do care, and I, I do acknowledge and recognize those who do significant service. And uh, this is how the gopis got the attention of Krishna. Uh, Krishna had to say, you know, I can't reciprocate with you. I, I Just be satisfied with your service. So, I think the, the idea of trying to get attention without investing, it's like that joke of the guy who prayed to God to win the lottery, and God showed up and said, Okay, let's meet halfway, buy a ticket. You know? <laughs> so, this is, is up to us to get the attention of Krishna or the spiritual master, and it's done by service, significant service which is different from just service. Uh, there is what you want to do for Krishna and what Krishna wants you to do for him, which they're usually very different.
1: Well, it's um, 9.01, so we'll end on time. Thank you very much. Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.